0: Oh, amen. Glad you're here this morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. And if you've got a copy of the Scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to John 15. That's where we're going to be today. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, we'd love to gift you one on your way out. We think it's extremely important, and it's kind of the point of this sermon. You'll hear as we go for people to be able to read God's word in an understandable way. And by God's grace, there is an abundance, like a ridiculous abundance of wealth that English speakers have when it comes to resources on reading the scripture. So I'd love to get you that on your way out. Boy, I'm glad to have you back with us uh, in our refocus series. And listen, I got to apologize because you're here this week. You weren't here last week. You missed the talk on finances. You missed it i'm so sorry uh but you can find it online we'd love for you to hear it we make no apologies about talking about money at hope church like everything else you either say what jesus says because he said it and it's jesus not me i don't know you can hit me if you want but you're just shooting the messenger jesus or we say what we think and that would take an incredible moxie and we don't have that Either we believe what Jesus said and we'll say it to you, and that's the case when it comes to finances, or we don't. And Jesus was clear that you and I both have a Bilbo and the one ring relationship with money. We don't want to let it go. It's become something. It's become an idol to us. Maybe I'm the only person that saw those movies, but if you remember, there's the point where Bilbo is supposed to leave the ring on the mantelpiece. And Gandalf says, leave it. And he said, no, I don't want to leave it. And then he had to have this whole thing. And then he eventually leaves it on the mantelpiece or says he's going to. And thank you, Gandalf. I'm so glad that you told me to leave it on the mantelpiece. I'm definitely going to do that. And then he starts to walk out with the ring in his pocket. That's what happened last week. Because if you were here last week, we all agreed. We agreed with what Jesus said about money and how we need to give it away. Give it to St. Jude's. I don't care. You can probably find places Uh, other than Hope Church to give it, but you need to give it. And if you're a committed member of Hope Church, yeah, you need to give to Hope Church, but it's not about the number, it's not about anything other than a loving return to God of what He's given and your ability to to decrease the hold of money on your life. And so if that was you and you were all with me when we finished last week and we agreed on that together and you said, yes, I'm definitely going to give money. I'm definitely. Oh, man, I'm definitely going to do that. And then you walked out. Do it. Actually give something today. It's easy. We make it like crazy easy with the way that digital stuff works for you to begin some kind of a recurring something. Be two dollars, something so that you're slowly releasing the hold That money has on your heart now money is not the most important thing we only put it at the beginning because it is i think the thing that has the most hold on us but today i think we are approaching what is the most important thing which is our faith that there's lots that we could say about faith. It is very intimidating and even discouraging to try and say it all in one week. But I'm going to try and sketch parameters around what we think you should be doing with your faith. And when we say what we think you should be doing, we're just saying, what does the Scripture describe as the, the reason, the foundation, the principle... When it comes to faith. And then once we've got that clear, what does it describe as the practice of faith? You have to understand that distinction. What does it describe as the principle? What is the faith and how does it work? Once that's established, what is our practice? What's our response to That principle, if I believe that you're about to punch me in the face, it's going to affect the way that I act. What is the belief that's going to produce these principles of the faith? That's what we've got to get into. To do it, we're going to start in John chapter 15, starting in verse 5. If you've got a copy of the scriptures that has red letters when Jesus speaks, you'll notice there's lots of red letters in the next couple chapters because this is Jesus giving sort of his last big sermon to his immediate followers. He's not talking to the Pharisees here. He's not talking to the masses here. He's talking to his boys. It's called the Upper Room Discourse because it's what Jesus says after the Last Supper. Judas isn't even in the room for this, I don't think. This is just Jesus and his boys, and he's given them his last moment before he goes to be arrested and crucified. What are some of Jesus' last words? Read it with me, John 15, and we can condense it down by reading just verse 5. We're also going to read a couple more verses, but verse 5, if you've got one that you're going to remember. Jesus... This is the last of his I am statements in the book of John. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that's going to bear much fruit. For apart from me, You can do nothing. Do you hear that word? That's pretty intense. I don't know what you did yesterday, but if you didn't do it with him, for him, through him, him abiding in you, producing fruit, through you, whatever you did yesterday, do you know what he says about it? Nothing. You thought it was pretty cool. He says nothing. So we've got options here. We've got fruit from him, through him, through us, or nothing. We'll understand that in a second. Skip down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. There's that word again. Whoever abides in me and I in him, and you're saying again, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay. If we're going to understand what's going on in these verses, I think we need to understand what Jesus is talking about with this whole vine and branch illustration. And it's easy Once you've had a little bit of exposure to Scripture, to start to pick out places where things match up. If you're just walking into Scripture for the first time, believe me, I understand, it's confusing. Maybe you became a Christian you said, I'm going to read the Bible. And so you started in the beginning and you got through Genesis and then that was about it. And I get it, I get it. You need a roadmap to kind of work your way through. But if you will give yourself over the years to consistent reading of the scripture, you're gonna start to notice how things sort of fit together. And one of the ways you can do that is by using the imagery of scripture and just saying to yourself, okay, a vine and branches, where else in scripture have I seen things that are like that? And if I'm thinking about a kept vine, and I'm thinking about a garden, I think about the garden with Adam and Eve in the beginning. If you did get through the beginning part of scripture, the creation story is that God speaks all things to existence into existence, and then in the last day, he makes Adam and Eve the day before he rests, he makes Adam and Eve out of the dirt, sorry, he does though, he uses dirt to make us, and then he puts us in a garden, a garden that he has made. And their job was to keep the garden, then expand the garden. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to keep the garden. They're supposed to keep the whole of the world and to multiply, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So these people who were gardeners, garden keepers, gardeners, were supposed to make more gardeners. And those new gardeners would expand and fill the earth with this perfect, beautiful picture of God's garden. His order, his joyful experience, because you think about what it would be to be Adam and Eve. Don't linger there, but it's the perfect man, the perfect woman, naked, in a garden where they just walk around and pluck and eat. Woo! And they have work, and they have stuff they can do. I mean, it's, it's hard. If you're on vacation, there's a point where you're kind of ready to get back to work. I get that. They have stuff they can do, but it's perfect. And yet, in that garden, what happens? Why are we not still in that garden? Well, Adam and Eve, they fail. They don't keep the garden. The snake wanders in, and he starts tempting them. God gave them one rule, and that snake tempts them to break that one rule. And when they do break that one rule, the curse comes, and God has to take them out of the garden. And His description of their life now when he's talking about what they get for their disobedience is that, yeah, you were in a garden, but now you're going to eat by the sweat of your brow. Now the earth is going to return to you thorns and thistles. And so in that story, we're seeing something. We're seeing what God had for us. We're seeing what we have now. And yet, Jesus is talking about, again, a way in which God is going to grow something beautiful that will produce fruit. And here's the problem. Here's what we want to focus on as we begin. You and I can start by thinking of ourselves as a vine that must grow and produce fruit. And so when we talk about the things that you're going to do or the things that you could do to make your faith that much more vibrant and full, you're going to try and do those things, but you're going to try and do them because you are a vine. And you're going to grow up in all of your glory and sit next to God as his equal. You may not think of it that way. But over and over and over again, that's what the human heart has shown itself to do. And God, as as Adam and Eve fail and they go from perfect garden to nothing and having to do what they can to eat by the sweat of their brow, God eventually, as you follow the story, puts a new vine in the world. This new vine is what we would call Israel. Israel. Now, again, if you're new to the Bible, the Old Testament can be a little hairy. But what's happening is God has this people, Adam and Eve, and he traces through this people a group that are always going to be with him or that he's going to covenant with and try and help to understand who he is and bring back into his fellowship. And eventually you get to this guy, Abraham, whose kid, kid, kids become the nation of Israel. And through that nation, God says to Abraham, all the world is going to be blessed so he's got this people, and they're not especially special, other than he made them special by choosing them. This people, whom God said he's going to use to bless all of the world. A way in which the garden is going to re enter creation. And Psalm 80 does it really beautifully, is it talks about this vine that God planted in Israel. This is what it says. The, the psalmist is praying, he's talking to God, and he's saying, God, you brought a vine out of Egypt. So the people of Israel come out of Egypt. They go into the promised land. Again, this is all Old Testament stuff. Follow me, though. You brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove the nations out, and you planted. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and it filled the land. This was supposed to happen with the garden, right? It filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. This is exactly what we are hoping we will be. That God's going to plant us wherever we are and we're going to start producing all this fruit. That we're going to be a vine that has all of this incredible activity and impact that the world is going to sit under the shade of our beauty. And so we do. We read and we study and we serve and we give and we get out in the world and we speak and we try to persuade as a vine. But listen to what happens to that vine. Verse 12. If that's what happened and this vine grew, why then, God, have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest, you can imagine a boar with its tusks getting into some cultivated area and just ravaging it. And all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, God of armies, God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. What's happening? He's saying that 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 vine failed. And we know that to be true if you look at the Old Testament. The story of the Old Testament is telling us a million different things. But one of the things that it's saying with this pounding rapidity, uh, repetitiveness, is that we have and will Fail that's what happened you have god you have adam and eve and then immediately cain kills abel you go a little bit further you have noah and all of a sudden god's going to make all things new he's going to wipe everything out and then with this noah guy he's going to start over and Noah, boy he must be somebody right and what happens with noah He don't fast forward too long in his life before he's laying drunk and naked You go to Abraham, who's supposed to be this grand, wonderful guy, this father of our faith, and of course he is, but what happened with him and Hagar? God promised he was going to have a baby with his wife, and instead of waiting on God's promise, he took his wife's servant and got her pregnant. Can I tell you all the things that happened because of that? You go to his son Isaac, and he's a coward just like his dad. He took his wife and pretended she was his sister so that people wouldn't Take her by force and kill him. You get to Jacob, and the man's a liar. He's a trickster. He's doing all kinds of insane stuff to his brothers and everybody around him until eventually he has his 12 kids, and aren't they going to be wonderful? No. When I try to think of the worst thing I can think of on the planet, top three, if it's not number one, is human trafficking. It's the idea that you would see another person and try and turn them into a commodity get a small amount of money and turn their life into torture you know the patriarchs of israel the the sons of israel who had then found the tribes of israel do you know what they did well they were going to murder their brother and they decided instead to just sell him into slavery why not make a buck You get to Moses and Aaron, it's ten minutes after God takes everybody out of Egypt in this miraculous set of displays of God's power. Ten minutes later, the people of Israel having a crazy party to honor the idol that they build for themselves to give glory that God deserves for taking them out of Egypt to this idol that they can fill up with whatever meaning they want so they can go and do whatever they want. You get into the judges where time after time after time after time it's just anarchy. You get the phrase over and over and over again as you read through the book. They did which was right in their own eyes. You get to David and Solomon, which is this apex moment. I think this is what he was describing when he talked about the vine that was planted in the promised land, putting its shade out over the world. David and Solomon, who are these wise kings who give to the people of Israel, not only victories, but wealth beyond count. And what happens? David rapes a lady and then kills her husband. Solomon's got concubines beyond counting and gives himself to their idols. It's with his son that the kingdom is split and the people of Israel in these two broken kingdoms fail and fail and fail so fully that eventually God allows the northern kingdom to get swallowed up. Not too long after that, the southern kingdom by Babylon, swallowed up. They just don't exist anymore. And so you can understand this this picture of that vine being broken down and ravaged and burned. As as Jerusalem was. Ravaged and burned. So then, what am I making with this point? I am trying to tell you that if your concept of my faith, what you're going to do with your faith is to buckle up and try real hard, If that's that's your concept, your principle for faith is that you're going to figure out the best means for growth and you're going to attack them. You're going to say, every day I'm going to read this many verses. I'm going to pray these four prayers. I'm going to fast this many times a week. I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to do, and that's going to make me great. If you're attempting to be the vine, if that's your principle, then the Old Testament has, it has to make fun of that. It has to just pull the rug right out from under you. Because what I would be saying to you is, great, I bet you can do it. I will say that neither David, nor Abraham, nor Moses, nor, nor uh, Isaac, nor Jacob, they did very well at it. But you, oh, come on, you, yeah, you're going to do great. Abraham, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, uh, whatever, he failed. But you, you, oh, you're going to kill it. Really? Is that what we're saying? Is that my job then? Is my job to just give you a list of things to go out and do and do them better than Abraham did. Do them better than Moses or David did. Really? Or is there a different way? If we finish Psalm 80, it even alludes to it. It says in Psalm 80, verse 17, God, let your hand be on the man Of your favor, the man of your right hand, the Son of Man, whom you have made strong for yourself, then we're not going to turn back from you. Give us life and we'll call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we might be saved. What just happened? What just switched? They were trying to be the vine, this beautiful thing that God had planted. And, of course, they were failing, and God had this sacrificial system, and if we had time, we could go way further. But the main point I want you to hear from the story of Israel is that they failed, and so have you. So have I. We need a different track. We need this strong man this man of god's favor this man who's going to be made strong and who we can depend on now fast forward again to john 15:5 jesus says to these guys i am the vine now where do we fit in we're the branches we abide in him And he bears fruit through us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. If you're with me this far, then you have to ask the same question I ask, which is, what in the world, then, do we do with the word abide? Because that seems to be the the fulcrum this whole thing's hanging on. We do abide, and all this fruit happens. We don't abide, and nothing happens. How do we, then, abide? abide what does that word even mean do we use that word even well i think the first thing it means and it's seen most clearly in salvation at hope church we really do believe that the bible is clear that we have failed and those failures individually are called sins and that those sins have separated us from god and the only way we can come back to god is not by getting on a payment plan sin is not debt that you can pay off It's not by saying, okay, well, God, obviously that adultery and triple murder, that was bad. But if you get me on a plan, I'll give 10%. I'll show up every week. Maybe I'll serve in a couple different ways. That orphan ministry sounds fantastic. Sign me up. I'll help deliver beds to orphans. And maybe eventually I can pay that off. Nope. Salvation is that Jesus came... Being the strong man, the perfect man, the vine we were supposed to be. And having been perfect, he took our sin upon himself and received the punishment for our sin. That's what happens at the cross. So that he can give us the reward for his obedience. The reward of connecting us back to God. So when we say abide in the vine, what we're talking about is putting all of your hope in him, trusting in him alone for your salvation. That you're going to stand before God one day and he's going to open up the books and go, wow. And you're going to say, I know. But the only reason you should let me into heaven, it's not because of the good things, because I don't know that there are any. It's only because of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus. The doors are going to open. Why? Because he was the perfect vine. I want to rewind just a second and ask the question, why God did any of this? Because there is a part of you that can wonder, what is it about God that he wants us to be gardeners? Are we the only way that he can get at that sweet fruit? Well, of course not. If anything, Adam and Eve have been extremely counterproductive to the garden that God built. He doesn't need us for the fruit. If that's true, and of course it is, then why are we going through this process? Why have we been made? Why are we part of this world? Why did he even create or continue with this creation? Look at verse 9 again. As the Father has loved God. Jesus. So has Jesus loved you. <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying, and this is what we believe, you had this whole Trinity thing, I don't know if you've heard about that in Christianity, it's the idea that we believe in one God who is in three persons, God who is one in substance and three in person, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how many gods do you have? One. What? I know. But, What we can say, because of the Trinity, we can say that love has existed before anything else. Because God loved the Son, and the Son loved the Spirit, and the Spirit loved the Father. And they were all in this perfect, loving relationship before they created anything. So they didn't create anything out of a lack. They created out of abundance. That's what it's saying here. It's saying that the love that God has for the Father, has for God the Son, God the Son is going to pour into putrid, sinful, created, fallen man. What? Yeah. We are saying that God the Father is giving his love to the Son, and the God the Son is giving his love to the Father, and this a perfect abundance of love is pouring down and landing on you and me. He's saying if we will just abide in him, focus on him, connect to him, rely on him, then he's going to pour through us joy. So, why should you do the things I'm about to talk to you about, quickly? Why should you do things to cultivate your faith? Because you, like me, want joy. Go back to John. So it says in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What's Jesus saying? A, he's saying that he has joy. You don't follow some like dour, awful, uh, suffering God. You don't follow some like whitewashed, impersonal God. You follow a God who laughs. You follow a God who enjoys and feels joy and has joy to the full. And you follow God who loves you so much that he wants to take that joy and shove it down your throat so that you pop with it. That your joy would be full. Can you believe that? Do you understand then why we want you to invest in that? It's not so that you'll be a better person, though of course that will happen. It's not so that you'll be better husbands, better givers, better servers, or better readers of scripture. Of course, though, those things will happen. It's so that you will be so absolutely wide-eyed with the joy of God that everything is different. Everything, everything, everything is different. How do you do that? Well, again, first it's salvation. But once you have been saved, it's investing in a daily way, in a daily way, investing your identity, your security, your satisfaction in him. How do you do that? Well, we're going to give you a couple different ways. One of the ways to do it is just to start every single day in His Word. Here's how we're going to help you do that. Everybody take their phones and pull them out. Turn them on. You got your phone. You got it. I know everybody everybody here's got one. You got it. Open it up. Open it up. At concerts now, they don't do lighters because, you know, vaping or whatever. But you can do, they do this now, you know? You got your phone? All right, open it up. Go to the internet and go to HopeChurchUtah.com. I know it's already your homepage, so it's not going to take you long. (laughs) HopeChurchUtah.com. When you open it up, HopeChurchUtah.com. It's got the little thing you can click so that it shows you all the tabs. HopeChurchUtah.com. It's not easy with gigantic thumbs. Uh, go. All right, you should see a new tab. The resources tab has been renamed God Time. Do you see that? Yeah? All right, good. God Time is our silly attempt to help you take a daily step into God's Word. And here's how that looks. All you do is on a daily basis, if you choose to, you can click on that tab. And five days a week, there's going to be a small devotional two or three verses two paragraphs and then under those just a little line for prayer and then uh, a little thing you can click and it'll take you to a page where you can read a chapter of scripture and that's it and all we're trying to do is give you a opportunity same thing with giving with giving give something two dollars anything just get started same thing with god time we're trying to give you the most, uh, the, one of the easiest things we can think to do. It's just a couple of verses, a little bit of reflection, and then a prompt for you to pray. And then you go about your day. And if you're not doing anything now when it regar- in regards to a daily time with God, this is a great way to start. If you're already doing something like this and you want to go further, there's a link at the bottom of all those you can click and it'll take you to a Bible reading plan where you can read through the whole New Testament in 2020. And if you're somebody who that's easy for, great! Join a community group and watch as they give you people that you can help enjoy the Scripture that you're enjoying. if you're already doing that, oof, fantastic. We're trying to plant five churches in five years, and we would love to talk to you. But do you see? As you abide, you enjoy. As you enjoy, you abide. As you abide, you enjoy. And as you enjoy, you go back to the place where the joy came from. And you abide, and you abide, and you abide, and enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And all of this abiding is going to produce through you incredible, life-giving, society-altering fruit. Do you see? It's so simple and miraculous. And you have to do it. You have to. Not because I said so, or because you're going to be a bad person if you don't, or yada, 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 not be the vine. No, 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 you're not the vine. You have to because this is the only place you're going to get the joy that you are made for. Let's stop by thinking about this. In the old days, they talked about the river of joy. They had Latin names for it and all kinds of different stuff. They thought about it a lot more than we do. It's probably why they were more productive than we are. But they thought about the fact that God made you, Therefore, he knows every avenue through which you can receive joy. Think about that. He knows the part of you that's going to experience that deep down peace level joy. He knows the part of you that's going to enjoy seeing beautiful things through your eyes. He knows the part of you that's going to enjoy a wholly different thing when you enjoy something beautiful through your smells, through your taste. The sound of something absolutely lovely. But let's go further than that. He knows the kind of joy that you get from deep, real friendships. Partnerships. Where you're going out and you're killing dragons. He knows the kind of joy that you get from parent love. The uncritical knowing you and loving you fully love. He knows the kind of joy that you're going to get through spouse love. The way that you connect with another person in that mysterious and perfect way. He knows the kind of joy that you're going to get from intellectual accomplishments. He knows the kind of joy that you're going to get from creative accomplishments. He knows the kind of joy that you're going to get from getting out there and just seeing something that you've done with your hands grow and succeed. He's going to, he knows all the ways that you can shove joy into a human being. He knows where all the holes are. He knows how to shove joy into every place you can receive joy. And he has said... As you abide, that he will make your joy full. Is that why you came to hope this morning? I hope so. I hope you showed up this morning because you wanted your joy to be full. And it's going to take a minute. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to take a minute. But I will testify to you that the incremental increase in joy that I've experienced with the absolutely almost minuscule increase in faithfulness that I've seen in my life has given me a taste that I'm never going to turn back from. And I want for you as well. So yes, go to God time. Yes, figure out what you're going to do. But daily, make the priority this year not to do, but to be, to abide in the vine. Lord and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what all that means. Of course, it's all of Christianity. It's it's so much bigger than, than the... Small amount of time we give ourselves on a Sunday morning, but you can do this miracle. You can bring joy into our life as we encounter you in your word. And as we encounter roadblocks, as we have difficulty understanding, I pray that we would rely on one another. That we wouldn't just spend time in God's time, we would also have gather time. where We come on Sunday mornings and invest in one another and encourage one another and teach one another. I pray that we would go further into group time with our community groups. That we would be people that can actually be depended on by other people in a long-term, real kind of way. And that eventually, Father, you would take in this people, in this church, such a joy, such a brightness that the world can't help but notice. And you bring many sons to glory. We pray these things in your son's holy name.